Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And today, um, we've got an exciting show for you guys. And we're joined by Robert Stevenson and Trevor Stevenson. Um, and they have a pretty cool story that um, I'm going to allow them, like we always do, to introduce themselves. And... Uh, give us their kind of their journey and we're going to dive into what you guys do and the machine shop and pretty excited about this. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. So well, like we, like I said, we usually do introductions first and Robert, if you don't mind, what we like is, you know, give us a little bit of your background. Um, what do you do in the company today? Kind of what was your journey you know, into the into the company, and uh, and then we'll turn it over to, to Trevor. Well, being a, a multi generational family business, Michael, you're in a sense you're always in the company from the day you were born. In a way, you know, my great grandfather uh, didn't start the business, but he bought into the business back in 1890. The business actually was started by a guy named Eastman, no relation to the George Eastman of Eastman Kodak, but he had the same name, um, and he was uh, came from Toronto and invented a, a way to make a fractional horsepower motor and mounted on a stand to drive a, to reciprocate a knife to make cloth cutting uh, actually possible in a mass production setting. Singer had invented the sewing machine, but before that it was cutting, cutting the cloth or cutting out the patterns was very laborious. And my great grandfather was a real estate developer in Buffalo and rented him uh, space. And after a few years, the guy said, look, I'm an inventor, not a manufacturer. Would you like to buy the business? And uh, my great-grandfather said, yes, and um, that's history. So, you know, here it is, I'm fourth generation and my son is fifth generation. Um, <clears throat> I was always interested in the business. I started working there uh, in, the, in, the, in the factory when, when I was 16 and taking apart machines. Uh, when I went to college, I was a Yale graduate, and in the summer, I worked in our New York City sales office, a variety of jobs um, from calling on customers, credit, uh, handling phone calls, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, I soon became a parent. I really, really enjoyed it, enjoyed the business, and uh, when I got out of college and moved back to Buffalo in the fall of 73, I told my father, I'm ready to, ready to work. Um, so I showed up at the office in my suit and thinking, where am I going to be sitting in the nice corner office? He took me down the hallway and took me into the file room and there was a little table in the corner. And he said, there's your office. Uh, the file clerk is your boss and you'll do as she says. And uh, good luck. And that was. <laughs> and that was my. Can, can you re remind me the year that the company was started? 1888. 1888. Wow. That's amazing. Really love it. And so, it, it that, so that was my start. And um, <clears throat> it was interesting. Back in those days, Michael, you probably remember, um, there, was no, there was no internet, obviously. There was no uh, phone calls were expensive. So most of the communication, matter of fact, 95% of communication with the company was through uh, the US mail. Uh, and so by telling me to open the mail, he knew I was going to read it. And in reading it, I could see where there were some issues, where were there some problems and uh, got me into delving into it. And I, I soon was moved into uh, the service department and I had a great mentor there, I, I, the name of Jack Schwartzot. And uh, I said, Jack, I don't, I don't know a lot about these machines that people call up with problems. And he said, Robert, don't, don't worry about that. They don't know you're not an expert. 
he said, this is a chance to learn. So you tell him that's a great question. And let me, let me go ask some people, make sure I give you the correct answer and you'll learn and, and they will know that you didn't know a damn thing. So uh, <laughs> after a few years, uh, I became quite proficient in that. And I kid my son as we're now into a much different technology uh, than, than I learned that the only reason they keep me around is because I know how the old machines work. So love it. Thank you, Robert. Trevor, tell us about your journey. You know, what, how, how did it compare and contrast to your father's? So my, my journey was a little more delayed than uh, my dad. I did work uh, a few summers here um, uh, when I was in high school, actually, uh, you know, building some machines uh, or, or rather painting the fence out in the parking lot, which uh, <laughs> some good hard labor for a high school kid. Um, I actually joined the company when I was 27 years old uh, after working some uh, other companies uh, really around the, around the country and around the world. Um, and when I joined 27, when I was 27, I, I didn't think the corner office, but I did, you know, I told my dad, I said, well, I, I, you know, I think I want to be in sales. I, I'd be a good sales guy. And he goes, well, that you're not going to do that. You're going to go in the service department. <laughs> and uh, at that point, we had gone on to what we call our automated equipment, uh, which we started in 1995, which is our, our large CNC computer control machines. And we had a uh, kind of a burgeoning tech service department where we go out and install the machines. Uh, it was a really a good way to, dad knew what he was doing. It was a good way to learn the machines from the ground up. Uh, so I did that for uh, a few years. And then I got into what we call our applications department, uh, where you do test cuts uh, and demos for customers with their materials. Uh, that I say would probably be uh, one of the most uh, beneficial parts of my, of my journey because I really got to understand the machines. Um, you know, before I was building them and I kind of knew how to run them, but learning the applications of them because we're in so many different industries. I mean, so many. We're in from everything from apparel to sporting goods to wind blade um, manufacturing. It's, uh, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild, the array of companies that we, uh, that we sell to. But anyway, uh, back to the applications. I learned all that. I learned how the machines interacted with all the different materials. I learned how the different files need to work. Um, I still get called. Uh, I, I'm now the president of the company and I, and I still kind of have my heart in applications and tech service. And I would say probably four or five times a week, I'm called back there to make sure that they're uh, doing it right. Um, that, you know, some of the guys just can't answer. And I, and I, I'm glad I still can. <laughs> right, I, haven't, right. I haven't lost those skills. Um, and I, so I did that for a while. And then, you know, I became assistant uh, tech service manager. Uh, and then I kind of saw, started to oversee the entire department. And then I got into engineering. I do not have an engineering degree. Uh, I went to the University of Vermont and, uh, and uh, but I learned what I call my Eastman engineering degree. Um, okay. You know, I think if I knew SolidWorks, I could design us a machine. Um, so I really know how they work. Uh, I know how the parts go together. I know how they need to go together. Um, I can I can definitely oh you know look at our engineering drawings uh, and our designs to see what's going to work and what's not going to work. So uh, that's been that was a very exciting uh, time for me to to learn that. Um, and then I got into uh, I got vice president and got into sales and now I oversee really. Uh, I'm, my hands are in everything. So I'm making sure that we're hitting our sales numbers. My heart is still in tech service and engineering. So uh, most of my day is, is it's filled with that. Um, but, uh, you know, and I work with a really good senior management team to make sure that uh, we're getting the right product out, the right quality out and uh, getting it out on time as, as much as we can. Love it. So Robert, you said something that I want to make sure that, that I hit on real quick and people hear this is that you were around the business from a young age, you know, and, and watching your father. Did, were you able to see your grandfather in the business as well? Oh, yeah. Sunday, Sunday dinners were always with my grandfather. Uh, he, 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 uh, his father died at a really, relatively young age. And my grandfather became the college. His two older brothers went to Harvard and be, started an engineering firm in New York which he employed uh, to help the company. But he, he became president and ran it uh, starting in 1907 and maintained that position until 1966. And as a young boy, you know, at the Sunday dinner table, uh, my father, my grandfather would be talking about uh, 
business and and uh, we we were very big in export for a long time and we always would be entertaining people from Europe or South America and so it, it was always um, a, a business environment in a sense it wasn't totally but it was always a business environment um, my grandfather stayed in the office basically uh, uh, until about 1970 when he couldn't do it anymore and he died in 1972 um, you know, and so so it was he was an integral part of, of my life in, in, in the business. Um, it's interesting because I, you know, I hear that story in that thread often, uh, meaning that, you know, as a as a young, young person, you know, you're influenced by your father and you're influenced by your grandfather. And, um, you know, I have a, a, another family business that uh, that I've talked to. Um, he is, you know, a, a cabbage geneticist, and he would go around the greenhouses with his grandfather, and you know, you know, getting the seeds ready, and and you know, creating different varieties, and just you know, it was just interesting for him to to be. I, I don't know if it was as interesting about the business, but it was the time spent with his with his grandfather you know, was meaningful and that was the connection point. And so that built the interest over time. I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but it's just like, you know, we, we, you know, we, our fathers and our grandfathers and grandmothers and grandmothers, you know, are, are influential people in our lives as we're growing up and the respect that we have for them sometimes is like, like that, the germination of that seed of, oh, I think I might want to do this. I, I think that's true. I think that's true. I, I I thought it was interesting that, you know, as a young kid, you'd see people coming in from all over the world to talk sure. to me. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. They live this exciting life. And I thought, wow, this is fascinating, you know, that we do this. This is little company. Um, I often, you know, if I can tell a little anecdotal story, you know, when I interview people uh, for management positions or whatever, I, they'll often my take is they've already been interviewed and I just like to let them know about, you know, how we view the company and what the culture of the company is. And I said, I'm going to describe the company to you in a way that you might understand. And uh, I, I always ask him, I said, are you familiar with the Disney movie Dumbo? I'm sure you are, Michael. I'm sure your kids have seen it and you've watched it with them. And I, they usually say yes. And I said, well, there's a scene in, in the movie where Dumbo is very discouraged and he's sitting in his tent and all of a sudden he sees this, uh, what looks like a monstrous uh, creature, uh, actually a shadow. And it's walking across the tent and he screams and oh my God, he's terrified. And finally a little boy says, I'm just a mouse. And I said, well, we're, we're kind of that way. We're, we're not a big company, but we cast a giant shadow. And uh, you know, we, we were worldwide in, in, in our reach uh, we certainly have some much larger competitors, but you can't go to a continent. You can't go to a country that doesn't know the name Eastman. And I'll, I'll tell you a further anecdotal story, if I may. My father was asked back in the 60s uh, to go to a trade mission uh, in Russia, which was very unusual. And he got it through uh, uh, his connection with a local congressman who thought we had an interesting business because we were international. So he's over there sitting in the, uh, the Kremlin with the Commissar of Trade and so on, other Russian officials. And this is back in the days of the Soviet Union, obviously. And uh, they're going around introducing themselves. And there's a vice president of Standard Oil and the head of Xerox and the president of this. And they finally get to my father. He says, I'm Chuck Stevenson, Eastman Machine Company. And we have a little handheld machine called the Chickadee. And it sells for, back in those days, for $150. And, and the commercial says, ah, da, the Chickadee, right? And my father says, <laughs> yes. And he was the only response they got from the Russians that they knew our machine. So that, that to me is, is, is still that way. We, when we go anywhere, um, you know, and you mentioned the name Eastman. Oh, we, yeah, we know if you're in that industry, we know Eastman, we know Eastman. And, and that to me is, is uh, certainly something you, you feel really proud about. And if you've done something that, you know, makes a difference, uh, you know, somewhere in the world. Michael, I'd like to add to that story as well. The first time I went to China uh, was like 2005, 2006. And we went to a very large trade show over there. It was my first time to China. Uh, I, I was a little nervous, um, you know, definitely about the food. And of course, the first place we stopped uh, at a little roadside uh, convenience place, they were serving uh, river crab uh, out of the local river that ran behind the gas station. 
And, uh, <laughs> and uh, thank God they had some uh, Ritz crackers as well. But I got to this trade show and it was the biggest trade show and it's still the biggest trade show I've ever been to, it was seven halls. And I was so impressed. I, I, I didn't really realize, I and mean, I was young in the career, I didn't really realize how big Eastman was or you know the name and, and the product. And every little booth was either selling our parts or selling knockoffs. Now in China, that's a, uh, they, they say that you're doing, you're, you have a very good product if we're knocking you off. So <laughs> it's, uh, they say it's a compliment to Eastman. That's right. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I mean, you could walk, you could, I, I think I walked a few miles in that uh, trade show and every booth had parts that went to our machines. That's very cool. That's very cool. So you, you, you've given me some of the history of the company. Um, one of the things that, you know, we like to share is it, it's, it's never a straight path, you know, of success. It's a, there's always an obstacle or something that's thrown in, whether it be, you know, within the business through the years or, you know, just dealing with family sometimes. Do you mind sharing with me, you know, since, you know, the, the company started, what are some of the stories that you guys, you know, have you, you keep about the hard times or about the things that you've made it through because it's always those things that, you know, test the metal to keep you around, you know, that those are the things that a lot of times I think we're most proud of. Well, let me, let me first go back and say, I was always, you know, when I was in college, I was actually an art history major. And my father finally said, look, if you're serious about it, at least take, at least take one management uh, business course. And I senior year management accounting, but um I always thought business is about the people. Uh, as long as you, you know, we have a saying, or I have a saying that I say, you know, you're, the ownership is, it's like a milk stool. Business is like a milk stool. It, it's, the ownership is the, is the head of, is the base of the stool, but the most important things are the legs that hold it up. And those are your employees and your community and your customers. And if you don't take care of the three of those, you're not gonna have a very good ownership. Um, my father, it's an interesting story. My, my mother was a very interesting woman. She had polio when she was 14. Uh, her father died shortly thereafter. Uh, this is back in 1933. But he had been a classmate of, of Franklin Roosevelt's, not only in his boarding school, but in, in Harvard and also Harvard Law. And Roosevelt called up my grandmother and said, I hear your daughter polio, and I'd like her to come down to uh, Warm Springs, where I have the little White House, and I'll take care of her. And over the course of the next uh, 10 years, uh, he became Uncle Franklin. And when God. my father met my mother in 1942 um, on a coincidental trip to uh, before he went overseas and met my mother down Long Island to a friend and they got married in January of 43. They spent their honeymoon in the, in the Lincoln bedroom in the White House. Uh, <laughs> But I, I tell all this story because my mother was a remarkable woman, as, as, as my dad was a remarkable man, but he got very concerned about my mother and, and what was going to happen uh, in the 80s. I'd been working there and, and I made me president in 83. I was just 32 years old, but I really had been working in the business I said, since I was 16. And in 88, he said, I, I'm very concerned about what happens uh, to me if, you know, how we're going to take care of your mother. And at the time I had, I was a member of an organization called YPO. Are you familiar with YPO? Sure. And we- Young speaker, President's Organization for those that are listening. And we had a speaker by the name of David Bork who was talking about family business succession and family business issues. And he got up and he was speaking at a seminar I was at and he's mentioning all the potential problems with uh, succession and I went up to him after the meeting. I said, David, I think of the five problems you mentioned, we have, we have all of them potentially, how to take care of siblings, how to take care of my mother, what to do about um, my, my dad. And we went out and I had him uh, send a book to my dad. My dad said, this, is, this could be us, Let's, how do we meet? Make a long story short, we engaged with him and in the December of 88, we completed a sale where we bought my dad out through a leverage buyout, which was popular at the time. Um, my mother died shortly thereafter, and my father then became uh, remarried, but unfortunately, about a year or two after he remarried, he developed dementia. Mm. And I, I don't want to get into the whole story, but it was, it was a really tricky time where 
we were ex just had bought our automated business. We had purchased some things. We were going gangbusters. We needed to borrow more money from the bank. And the bank said, well, um, that's great, but the signature is your mother's. Uh, we need your dad to sign. My father didn't understand what he was doing, wouldn't sign it. The bank said, well, we're not gonna loan you any more money. I told my father, I said, I can't pay you. And it got into a real family legal battle. And we, we fought that for five years uh, until we finally settled it and got it done. But those were, those were tough times because I couldn't deal with my dad. He didn't understand what was going on. Right. And it took a lot of fortitude uh, on my part to, to you know, get through it. I had two brothers who were my partners at the time. My youngest brother got very nervous about it. After it was all over, he said, I, I really don't want to be part of this business anymore. Will you buy me out? And my older brother just said, Robert, you're the guy and whatever you decide is good, good for me. And so, so it, it, it got settled. Um, but one, one of the things you, you learn, I said, is, is keep sight of what you're doing. And in 2001, um, I was a little nervous about the whole thing. Here I am, just turned 50 years old. Uh, I didn't have a dad anymore. He, you know, he, he didn't know really who I was. Right. I felt I needed a mentor and I wasn't too proud to say, I, I need help. I want somebody to come in and tell me, what am, am I doing the right thing? And I found a guy who I'd known. Actually, I, he'd been an advisor to me and I asked him to come on board and he'd been a former uh, senior executive vice president for Daimler Benz in the United States. And he, I said, uh, and he'd, be, he'd become a CEO of a local publicly traded Buffalo company, which he eventually got sold for six times the initial stock price. So he did well for them. And I said to him, Kurt, um, do we have a company that we can grow? I said, pretend you're going to buy it. Come in and spend a week with me. And he did. And he said, he said, you have a great company, but not necessarily the right people. And and uh, and we we understood at that time we needed more management depth. So one of my concerns that I always have in, in, in the business is how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? How do we make sure this doesn't happen with my son? And one of the things I've always worked on is to develop a management team that is contemporary with him. So, I mean, I'm 70. Uh, I've got a great COO who's 65. And but we've been developing people around Trevor who are you know contemporaries of his who got the experience so they they, they can grow with him, and make me feel pretty good that uh, the business is in good hands. Um, I always feel you know my job now as CEO is is basically making sure the ship steers in the right direction. Uh, I don't get involved much in maybe maybe my son was I get involved sometimes too much in tactical decisions, but. I, I, one of the things I learned from that, from that mentor was you want the business to make good music, if you understand. He said, you're the conductor and you have various parts of your orchestra, your manufacturing team, your engineering team, your sales team, your accounting team, your marketing team. He said, they need to work synchronously. So they work together and just that's your job. Make, make sure you're conducting it so they work together well. And so I, I take a lot of pride that we, I think we do that. And so when we have visitors who come and visit us from the company, whether they are, they, they, uh, they like what they see. And I think that's being a big part of our success. That's great. It, it, it's brilliant that, you know, one of the things I say to people when, when they meet me and we're talking, I'm like, my my biggest genius is knowing that I don't know everything. And, and that's, and Robert, what you just said was, I didn't know everything. And I found somebody that could help me think through these things differently. And, and that is just the, the true, you know, colors of a leader. Nice, nicely done. That was well done. I really appreciate that because it's so hard for a lot of people to let go because they want to do all the time and they want to run everything and control. And the smartest thing you can do is build yourself with some great people around you and you did, and you did that well. Um, the other thing I want to, you mentioned the, the orchestra. And so when, I'm, when I coach the family businesses that I work with, we you know, utilize a, a system called metronomics. And, and it comes from the metronome, which 
helps you to keep time, right? And economics. Right. And so you put those two pieces together and you know, there's the, the metronomics of, of the business. So that's, that's pretty cool that you said the orchestra. I immediately, that, that should ring true for people, you know, when you hear all those different, you know, departments and getting them to work in unison. I say that management team or that leadership team that you built, they need to be responsible and in tune with each other more so than the teams that report to them, you, you, right? You, you need that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And Trevor, I Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I don't want to take all the time. Yeah, no, me... I just want to, you know, I, I want Trevor to talk about, you know, some of the things that, you know, he's most proud of through the years, you know, and, and made that those, you've been around, so, you know, there's been some transition and the world is different today. You know, if you compare how the company made money years ago versus what you do today, what's the same, what's different, you know, what does that look like? And then maybe, you know, are if there's, tell us, are there other family members in the business? And, you know, what's what's good about being in a family business and what may be I, some of the struggles? Let's turn back to that, but let my son talk a little bit about what he what he sees, okay? Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, I'll answer the last question. So there's, there's no one on uh, my generation in the family business. So, you know, I really rely on my dad and my uncle, um, to be my my ears and, and kind of sounding shoulder for uh, family matters, um, you know. But uh, so, sometimes sometimes that can be a lonely island, you know, with different generations talking to each other. Sometimes they don't see eye to eye. Uh, but I also have a, a very good team, uh, as my dad said. We I've built a uh, or we have built a team of, of really strong uh, peers for me uh, here at the company. Um, that those are kind of my, uh, my my ears and, and my brains and that uh, I can rely on and, and talk to. And I think um, a lot of them, uh, I would say most of them, um, have the same kind of vision that I do uh, for the business. Um, going back to uh, what my dad said is that we're a people business. Uh, we really are. I, I think that you know, there's a lot of, a lot of competitors. Uh, they sell basically the same thing, but most people buy from us because of who we are and the way we interact with people. Uh, we're fast, uh, we're, we're flexible uh, because we're still a relatively small company, um, even though we're growing kind of by leaps and bounds. Uh, but we still, we still own, we really own that family atmosphere. Um, people feel that when they come to see us. People feel that when they see us at trade shows. People feel that in a way we get back to people quickly. Um, you know, you've got to be quick in today's world as well, uh, especially younger generations. They lose, they lose their attention quickly. Um, if you're not giving them what they want, they go on to the next thing extremely fast. Um, some things that uh, I, I've seen, you know, over, especially over the past five, six years, it's just tremendous growth, especially in our automated division. Uh, you know, going, I mean, really double digit growth every year for about five years. Um, you know, we had, wow. uh, except for the small recession we had in, in 2020, we still did very well. So I, I, I'm proud of that. You know, I'm proud that my people um, at the company continue to, to push through uh, the kind of the COVID pandemic. Uh, we, we stayed flexible, we stayed adaptable, um, and we stayed to task. Um, we didn't, we didn't um, I don't want to use the word freak out, but we, did, we didn't stress out about it, right? Um, we continue to focus on the, at the task at hand. Uh, I'm proud of that. You know, I'm, pr I'm proud that we have such a strong, dedicated uh, group of people here that they saw us through that. Um, you know, another one was the financial, the Great Recession, uh, 2009. Uh, you know, I, I was pretty young uh, at the company anyway. I'd been here about five years when that started, recently married. And, uh, and that was tough. Uh, again, we were able to pivot. You know, we were able to make changes, uh, become much more lean. Uh, it, it taught us a lot during that. You know, how, how can we run this company uh, the most effectively and efficiently that we can? And we grew out of that, seeing seeing what we you know we we had a lot of I guess fat that we didn't need laying around that uh, um, we still kind of employ that uh, strategy today um, that we we run very cost effectively, um, but also to uh, make sure that we have enough resources um, to treat our customers the way that they need to be treated. Love it. I love it. It's, um, it's interesting. You know, what do they say? Tough times 
you know, tough times come and go, but tough, t- you know, tough people, tough businesses last, right? You know, yeah. and and I think you know one of the things, and I'll share this with you. A lot of family businesses don't know this, but they just live it. And so you just talked about how people know that we're a family business and we treat everybody as part of the family. Um, I tell family businesses, number one, you know, to always make sure that you're telling everybody that you're family owned, that, you know, be proud of that generational stuff because it is rare to be a five generation business. Um, And so you've done something, you know, pretty incredible. What I would say, you know, is there's something out there called the Edelman Trust Barometer, and it's a, a think tank that measures trust, and they do it in all different areas. But I remember they measured it for family businesses versus non-family businesses, same industry. Family businesses across the board got a 20% bump in trust from both customers, employees, and, you know, that, what else could you ask for? So mm-hmm. making sure that you are living that culture, being that, um, you know, it's it's important. I share with my team and we're small, you know, we've got a, a small team and we've been growing leaps and bounds. And as a business owner, I put my business owner hat on sometimes instead of my family hat on. And so I have the conversation with my employees that says, if I ever talk like a corporate employer, you have the right to remind me that the name family is in the name of our business. <laughs> and so it, it's, it's, it helps to keep me humble. We have our, our first girl, you know, woman um, is, is pregnant. And so she's going out on maternity leave. And I have, you know, be, uh, yeah, between the three of us, nobody else is listening to this, right? <laughs> um, you know, we didn't have a maternity. I had never, never had to deal with that before. And so we sat down and I said, you know, what do you want? And we just crafted it together. We worked back and forth and she was really happy with, with it at the end. I think that we ended up with something that's better than many, many companies would have done. Um, and not so painful that, you know, it, we can't afford, Hey, paid for six months and go take care of your kid. You know, we, we still have a business to run. So that's, I think you bring that to the table on a regular basis. It sounds like, and that's pretty awesome. We, we do. We do. I mean, I, every, every customer that buys a machine from us, I personally reach out to them and I, you know, I'm, I don't thank them for the order. I, I thank them and tell them, you know, welcome to the family. You know, we're, we're so glad that you, you, you've joined our family and, you know, and you'll be treated as such going forward. Um, we have uh, we have a lot of people that have gone from our competitors to to us uh, because of that. And then they stay with us. And I, and I think that's why. That's I, I, obviously we have a make we make a very good product, too. But, of course. Of you know, course. I, you yeah. know, when, when they feel like they're buying from uh, maybe an extended family member, it's uh, it's a little easier. And Michael, I just to talk about your your and I we my father and, and my grandfather we've always had women in executive positions and top uh, executive one is runs our European sales and is vice president of European sales and marketing, and the other one is vice president of domestic sales. They're both young women in their uh, early forties, and during the COVID time, obviously when schools were closed and so on, I, I am very responsive to their. Uh, you know, for a lot of men who had that problem, they say, well, the wife stays home, I'll still go to work. Well, they can't, they have to, you right. know, they have, they have multiple children and we worked it out. We said, look, I don't, you've got to take care of your kids. And as long as you can do the job at home, I'm very happy to have you stay home and do what you have to do. I mean, try to make it in the office once in a while, maybe your husband can stay home one day. And, and it worked out and they're very appreciative of it. And they've both been with me 17 years and they both want to make it their full-time career because, you know, yeah. we understand that and that's what we try to try to try to do uh is is make sure that our employees uh, feel that we are concerned for them and we will do what it takes to make sure that they have the best opportunity i always say that you know as, as i said my job is to make sure that everyone has the right assets and the right environment to do their best they're the professionals i i just and the guy who tries to organize it. <laughs> That's right. You conduct it. You, you're the conductor. He's steering the um, ship, and we're 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 all trying to keep it together. Yeah, <laughs> I love I love it. Um, you talked about transition with your with you know from your dad Robert, and that was I, one. I want to just say thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with us because 
that's the kind of story that could save somebody else. And that's why we do the show. And, and so, you know, we had an, another episode where I had consultants on who talked about that very fact of what happens when dad, you know, is, has, gets dementia. And so, you know, we, we went through that whole process and so there, you know, there was an episode. So for those of you who are listening right now and heard Robert's, you know, story and that, you know, resonated, go back and find the other episode that we did where we had the consultants on. I don't remember the name of it, but we, we talked about, you know, what happens if, um, as you know, dad, dad or mom is getting older and they won't let go. Um, right. You know, one, one of the, one of the factors I learned from, uh, David Bork and, was that you know the failures of family business is not that the business fails is that the family fails yeah and so how do you prevent that and how do you how do you manage a family business to in the extent that you have a good family and you have a good business and one of the things he said is not all families are suitable to work in the family business and you have to make that decision and i my my son has three sisters and i told him at the start i said i'm not going to bring siblings in just because they're your siblings I said, when I go, if you want to hire them, that's your problem, not mine. But I'm going to make sure they're taken care of equally, that we treat everybody equally in terms of my estate work. But I don't want to crowd the business with people just because they're family. Um, I have a, I said, my youngest brother, who finally decided that he didn't, he was, didn't want to be part of it anymore. And I said, fine. And we bought him out. My older brother, who is an equal equity partner, but he has no responsibility besides running our international business. He can't sign a check. And I, I tell a funny story about it that years ago when we were getting into the automated, he wasn't, I mean, here we are selling tens of thousands of our manual machines and it looked like we we're having a great year. And why are we getting into this new automated business? How are we going to be successful? It's going to cost a lot of money. And I said, it's our future which proved to be right. 90% of what we sell now is automated. Right. Uh, and he said, I don't know if I want to sign this uh, uh, director's uh, okay to purchase this business. And I said, wait, you, you, you've got to sign it. Well, I don't know if I want to sign it. So if you don't sign it, then there's no reason for you to work here. You're fired. And he looked at me and said, well, you can't fire me. I said, yes, I can. And I brought in our <laughs> control. And he doesn't get a paycheck this week. And he he kind of looked at it and I walked out and I'm sitting in my office and oh my God, I just fired my brother. What am I doing? And uh, finally, about a couple hours, I walked back. I said, wait, sign the goddamn document. I've scared the language. Sign the document. <laughs> he said, oh, and uh, we lived happily ever after. And now he thinks that uh, that automated business was his idea, which is okay. That's okay. <laughs> but but my, my point is, you know, you, you, you have to sort of separate family and, and business. And, you, you know, sometimes if you do what's best for the business, the family's going to be okay. Right. If you sometimes what's best for the family, the business isn't going to be okay. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Take yeah. care of the business. The family will, will, will prosper in a way because, you know, we're all basically shareholders. In a way, your family's always a shareholder in the business, but they can't run the business. And it's important to recognize who, who, could, who could run it and who just, you know, shouldn't be involved and I take, take that very very seriously and I think that's one of the reasons we've been successful to get to five generations is that philosophy has been continued uh, it's it not continued but it's been passed on you know right. down the grandfather had two brothers who were older and he could have invited them in he said no I, I, I've got this my father uh, didn't want to have you know he had a younger brother didn't want him you know in, involved and and it's the way the way it goes and i think that's been the way we've been successful yeah. is to understand that well and, and i'll throw to you you know one of the things you use the word because it's 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 pushed upon us in the family business space so i'm a second generation family you know my father started the business um failure and it's the failure if, if you don't move it from one generation to the next, it's a failure. And I would, and I, and I caution people against thinking that way because the average company on the S&P doesn't last 15 years. So if you're just one generation, my father ran a business for 40 years. He was successful regardless of whether I came and did anything with that business or not. Somebody would have bought that business and that might've been what was right for the family. I just happened to be, you know, I had a degree in economics. I didn't know that I was going to like, you know, this, this world. And I got into it. I'm like, 
oh my gosh, you know, th for me, this is easy because I just geek out about it and I love business <laughs> and I love families and I, you know, I just, just fun, but it's not a failure. And if I don't have a child that decides to come into the business and we don't, you know, have that opportunity, it will be fine. You know, I'll, 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 I'll drip something out real quick. We have the great grandson of one of my father's first clients interning with us right now. <laughs> so that's a pretty cool story. I'm like, if one, if one of my, you know, not that it'll happen, but it's just, you know, the people that we serve here, we are three generations later, right? One, two, three, four generations later. And one of the, you know, great, great grandsons of one of our first clients wants to, you know, work with us. That's pretty telling about who we are. So yeah, I love, and it's fits the same, the same. We, we have the same here too. We, ha we have multiple generation of, uh, of office and factory workers that have yeah. come through Eastman. Yeah. It, it, I love that. Yeah. When you talk about, you know, your right now where you sit today, Trevor, and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're meeting, you know, Robert and Trevor, you're meeting with the, the leadership team, the management team. What are the top three biggest, you know, things that you're working on today? The, the, the pains, the obstacles, the frustrations, what are the things that you guys are faced with today in this environment? Well, immediate pains uh, is what, you know, most of the world is seeing, you know, we're seeing pretty severe supply chain issues. Okay. Uh, so we've had to adapt uh, to that uh, and, and make, make some pretty serious and, and involved engineering changes to do that. Uh, so uh, most of 2021 was uh, doing that uh, in terms of uh, my engineering team really had to pivot to make basically new products uh, with, with new components in there to run it because of the the current ones that we had, you know, we're getting 26 weekly times, 52 weekly times. It just continues to grow, you know. I mean, that, that put us out of business. Right. And uh, so that I would say that's one of the bigger challenges that we're dealing with now. And it's getting better. It's still it's still kind of week to week. Um, but uh, again, like I said, we're, we're very flexible and adaptable. So we, we kind of get through it. Um, but but it has been very stressful for, for the employees, uh, especially for the production team. Um, and really the sales team, because I mean, we want to make sure that we're promising our customers and delivering to our customers what we, what we tell them. Um, I, I say that's one of the bigger things. Uh, people, you know, I think this COVID pandemic, uh, especially on the younger generation, has uh, shifted their mindset on how they want to work. Uh, you, you know, you read about everyone wants to work from home and, uh, or at least partial from home. It's very tough in a manufacturing company. Um, I know my dad likes everybody here and, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know if that's an old school thought or not, but I'm kind of the same way. Um, I want people here, uh, the camaraderie, the, the, the brainstorming sessions that take place. It's very hard to do that through Microsoft teams. Um, you know, it's very hard to quickly go pop into somebody's office and, and discuss an idea or, or to talk about an issue. Um, but we're getting more and more pushback from the younger generations and, um, you know, a lot of offices do offer that, you know, they offer these flexible hours, they come when they want to and work till they want to, you know, as long as they kind of get their hours in, but it, it doesn't necessarily work in a, in a factory, in a, in a manufacturing setting. Um, that, that, that's tough. Um, and uh, I would say that we're somewhat flexible to that and uh, somewhat open to some flexibility. Um, but it's not, it's not a free for all it's like some of these, uh, uh, maybe technology companies that you see that, um, <laughs> that you see right. everybody. It's so much easier of, when it's, when you're on a computer all day long anyways. Yeah. 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 You're stuck in a cubicle and you don't get up and you're on a computer and you know, you're a service company or a software company by all means. Um, but, uh, it's, it's different. It's different for manufacturing. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate it. When you when you look at those things, and you guys have probably talked about it, so either one of you can chime in. But how are you? You know, what are the plans? How does the team operate to think through those things? How is how has that been working? What are some of the things that you look back and say because you know the team was able to do X, Y, or Z, or you know we're still working on plans to overcome them? I don't know if that makes sense, but you know. What would you say the, the, the strengths have been that have allowed you to survive and, and to be thinking through this stuff? 
Well, I think we communicate very well as a team and as a senior management team. Uh, we meet regularly, uh, which I think is very important. Uh, to How often do you meet? Uh, the senior management team meets uh, every two weeks together. Oh, okay. Um, sometimes more in kind of ad hoc meetings. I mean, I, again, we're a smaller company, but uh, there's a dedicated staff meeting with senior management every two weeks uh, to discuss these types of topics. Yeah, uh, I, so, go ahead. I'm in I'm in constant, you know, I, I, if I'm not in Buffalo right now, obviously I'm down in Florida, I take a little time off. I, I don't take time off. I just work in a different location. I should, <laughs> I should say I work, I work from home, but I try to, you know, I, I talk to my COO. I talk to my son. I talk to our, our, our head of sales and marketing almost every day and stay in touch with that. And of course, with the ability to look at what's going on, I, I ask, that every email sent to a customer, I get a copy of, so I can mm -hmm. keep a finger on that pie. And if I see something that's not right, or I have a suggestion, I'm, I'm happy to make it to say, how can we improve our service? As I said, for us, uh, it's, it's, it's continuing. We, we don't have a, a set thing where we're only gonna discuss strategy every two weeks. I know we have a meeting. We discuss strategy every day. We're always, we're always thinking of what we can do. Uh, we, you know, Trevor mentioned it earlier, and I like this, I, I can't say I, this original idea, I think I read it in some management book, that it's not the big fish that eat, that survive, it's the fast fish. The fast fish in the, in the ocean are the survive. So it's, it's not the big that beat the little, it's the fast that beat everybody. And we try to be fast. And if yeah. you're gonna be, gotta be continually discussing uh, what you can do to improve. It's, it's not something, well, well, that's gotta wait till the next management meeting to discuss it, no. It's, it's, it's head on, let's get it done, let's figure it out right away. There's always something happening and there's always uh, uh, a situation where we wanna sit down and, and discuss what we can do better. What are we gonna do if this doesn't work? What's plan B and then plan B doesn't work, do we have a plan C? We're in the middle right now of an expansion. We're adding 10,000 feet uh, to the factory. We also bought a adjacent building to, to add to. So we're adding about 30,000 square feet to our facilities. We have 140,000 square feet right now. So not only are we dealing with, as Trevor said, supply chain issues, we're also dealing with handling this construction, <laughs> which has been a little behind schedule, getting that organized. <laughs> bringing in more people to find them um you know it's a continuing process that people you know it's it's as you probably are aware michael it's hard to get people to work today um you know adjusting salaries to compensate people what in this changing environment um and and making sure we still meet our our financial goals and uh we continually survey that um so i i would say you know, I'm talking about strategy. It, it, it's an ongoing process. We don't formally sit down once a month or something. Say, okay, let's review our strategy process. It's as I said, it's a continuing work in progress. And I think the successful companies do that. As, as my son said, communication is key. Uh, and I like the fact that we're all able to communicate successfully, and everybody understands understands the goals. That's great. So when you uh, 100% agree. Strategy is not an event. It's not a conversation. It's always has to be happening. Do you, you know, you, you had this pivot back in, I guess it was the eighties when you went to the automatic or was it the nineties? Sorry. Was, 1995 is when we purchased the technology uh, okay. from a, a little company in San Francisco. That's sort of a funny story. It, they, they, they were making sales for the America's cup racing teams. Okay. They, sales and in uh, I didn't I'm not a sailor but from what I understand is that these sails are basically big wind uh, you know wing wing they're they're wings they're foils right. and they're not made of canvas anymore they're made of synthetic materials and uh, based upon the wind conditions they from one day to the next they need a new sail and how do you make it fast and this little company figured out a way to do this CNC and they thought there was an idea how to commercialize it and they started their own little business and was called, you know, North Sales Automated Cutting Systems. And they were doing about $600,000 a year. And they approached us and said, would you like to distribute our product? And I said, well, you're a sale making company. We're a manufacturer. I tell you what, why don't we just buy it? We'll give you a, we'll give you a royalty for a few years to pay for it. And uh, we've turned that from a $600,000 a year business to a $40 million business. 
Bravo. Oh. <laughs> nice. We're still growing it. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a fun, fun thing. And as I said, when I bought the business for my dad in 1988, we didn't have any of that. Uh, to 90% of what we manufacture, we didn't make back in 1988. So it's, it's a completely different, it's the same business. Cutting is our business. But where we cut and who we sell to is totally different. And it's been fun. And it's kept, kept me energized because it's, it's fun to see the growth. It's fun to be there. And it's fun to learn about all these. You know, my son knows far about, about it than I do. But it's fun to see all the diverse industries we're now into. For example, just for your listeners, uh, SpaceX and Blue Origin and NASA, they all use our machines. Uh, aerospace is a big market of ours. <coughs> um, military is a big market. Uh, the marine industry, the sleep industry. The glass industry. I mean, the furniture industry it goes on and on and on. So our 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 our, our possibilities are are endless. I mean, I think for my son, I if I if I'm still around in 30 years, and he's still around in 30 years, he'll be he'll be getting to be my age. Uh, <laughs> love to see what the business looks like then. I, I think I think it's going to be terrific. That's pretty exciting. So, Trevor, you know, as you, as you're meeting with the management team, your leadership team today do you guys have a vision for you know how far out does your vision go 10 15 20 years are you out that far when you're thinking about things I, I, a little bit you know in terms of uh, you know my my kids um, but I, I tend to think more five ten years okay you know, what, what's the business going to look like what how do, how do we need to um, continue to grow what do we need to continue to what are some t technologies that we need, um, some acquisitions that we might need to make that's uh, more vertically integrated uh, for the company, um, or even some competing or um, competing products uh, that we would add, you know, like to add to our line. Great. Um, you know, one, one of the things that we didn't really touch on that much is, you know, so software is a very big part of the automated industry. Okay, uh, and that, and that's something that uh, we, we want to continue to grow um, and improve on. Um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of push uh, into more automation in terms of what can the software do for you, what can the software do for the customer. Um, a lot of data driven uh, analytics, obviously industry 4.0, um, but also getting getting to the point where automation is truly truly automation. Uh, where you have uh, robotics running the machines. Um, right now, we're at the point where you can have a robot pick off pieces off the machine, but sure. no, one, no one has made a robot yet to run the machine, uh, you know, to lay up the material and, and, and uh, push the go button. But uh, we're getting close. That's, it, it is really, you know, everything is changing. It's even in our industry, you know, they talk about the robo-advisor, you know, and so it's, it's, it's out there and, and, and it's coming. And um, I would say that the robots, the, the AI will never replace creative thinking that we bring to the table and, and how to take all these pieces and put it together, but it can definitely make things easier, faster, and better sometimes as, yeah. as we're doing things. Yeah. And, and I, and we're seeing that too, also, you know, not just in the products that we make, but also trying to automate our factory. Sure. You know, it's, uh, you know, when you're around for 135 years, uh, some things are hard to change. Um, you've got people saying, well, we cannot do that because, or we, you know, we've done this the same way forever uh, and it works, but uh, I'm always thinking, well, how can it work better? You yeah. know, what, what can, what can we do to make it in, improve? And uh, we, we do have a, we have a pretty uh, robust machine shop. Uh, we have some very antiquated old drills and lays and, uh, and mills. Uh, they're actually painted World War II colors. You want to know how old they are. Um, great, great machines that, that produce good product, but we also have started to transition into automated uh, CNC machines to make our parts. It's uh, allowed us to become much more efficient uh, and, and deliver parts to our, to our factory floor uh, quicker. Great. So I want to say thank you both for joining us today. Um, I, I wrap up with, you know, is there anything that you didn't get to say that if you were talking to another family business owner and just kind of offering your best advice or training that you've gone through that somebody else or a book or 
you know, in family employment policy, just something that, you know, pops into your head, what would you want to, what is your, 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 your two cents of advice that you'd like to share with them? Do you want to go first, Kevin? Sure. Um, well, being the younger, being the son, um, I, I would say communication is key. Um, you know, communication with my father is key and understanding um, where his head is at and, and, and uh, um, the kind of the vision that he continues to have as, as CEO. Um, you know, the plan for uh, myself and the plan for the business, uh, but with me, with, with me now helping to, to steer it as well. Um, I think that uh, I continue to say communication, but I really think that's the key to business. Um, you know, not having, uh, as dad uh, alluded to, you know, not having too many family members in the business. Um, I think that's uh, one reason a lot of family businesses fail as, as you know, you, you have a starter um, and then it just grows and then it kind of the family, the whole family tree is involved in the business. You've got it, you're paying way too many people um, that uh, really dilutes the profits out of the business. And uh, obviously you have a lot of inner turmoil and family fighting that I think that uh, can really ruin a business. So I, I think that uh, that's one reason Eastman has uh, succeeded um, from, from a family business uh, standpoint is um, having a minimal amount and, and just the right amount of family members in the business to continue the business to grow. Love it. Thank you. I, I would say to, a, to another family, number one, understand that not all members of the family view business the same way. And, you know, for example, my brother loves to be at work. Um, he rarely takes vacation. He doesn't really enjoy it. And he's there all the, he's, he's there all the time. He's also a part-time author and he loves doing other stuff. And we made a, we made a family business uh, document that basically says, let's, let's not, judge each other by our work habits. Let's judge each other by our results. And if we have good results, I don't care if he's there eight hours a day or there two hours a day, as long as the business gets done, you know, that's fine. And I think that's important for members to understand that we all don't show up at the same time, we have the same ideas. And, you know, make sure you have a shareholders agreement or whatever that, that recognizes that. And, and also, that you communicate with the other family members who are not involved in the business. I mean, what the expectations are and, and what, you know, we're thinking of. And I think that's, in, that's important. In terms, of, in terms of running a business, as I said, just make, make sure you understand that, you know, taking care of your people, taking care of your community, taking care of your customers. If you do that and you got it, you're going to be successful. Uh, Continue to advance to, you know, be, be sensitive to what's going on in the world. I think no one is, we all don't have the ability to see ahead, but I think we do have an intuitive sense of what's happening. As I said, my decision to get into automated was a sense back in, in the 90s, was that apparel is increasingly, production was moving overseas. Uh, we weren't going to be able to compete as successfully overseas but there was a growing industry, what's called a composite or text, technical textile business that was gonna grow up and we ought to be involved in that. So choose your sandbox wisely and play in it and don't get out of it. You know, uh, We made a mistake back in the 80s, uh, mid 80s, we had a customer who was making jackets in town and they were varsity jackets you see kids wear you know, with their name emblazoned and the name of the school. And this guy owed us a lot of money and, the sales guy for that organization said, you know, why don't you just tell me you'll buy the business, uh, let him get walk away, and we're going to sell a lot of jackets. We, there's a market for it. They just, we, this guy doesn't make them fast enough. I said, wow, this is pretty good. Why, why don't we do that? Um, we, we're in that business. Well, we did. Uh, we invested uh, quite a bit of money. We ended up losing it all. And as an advisor said, he said, you got your, you paid for your MBA. <laughs> you, but you paid for it to learn stick to what you know yeah. you you know something but stick to what you know so i've always said you know people come to us and say gee why don't you do this or do that it's, no it's not it's not our business we, we we understand cutting let's stick to that and we've been pretty successful at doing that so i would tell any other family look stay in your lane you know what you do <laughs> and be as, be as competent as you can in that yeah. area it will be successful. 
I love it. And there's nothing wrong. You know, it's, I, I always hold up my hand and people that are listening can't see this, but if your thumb is your core business, the moment you move two fingers away, anything further than two fingers away from your core starts to get really, really, you know, out, out, out there and right to exactly what you're saying, Robert, you need to stick as close to your core as you possibly can. Right. So. Yep. Robert, Trevor Stevenson from Eastman Machine in Buffalo, New York. Thank you both for joining us. Um, this has been, you know, enlightening and I really appreciate everything that you've shared. My name is Michael Columbus. This is the Family Biz Show. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to having you listen to next up some of the future episodes. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.